Good morning. I'm reluctant to start in a way after that. I just wanted to stay where we were. But it's a good place from which uh, to hear the word. Uh, the title of today's talk is The World Will Hate You. Uh, I've quite enjoyed preparing for this. Uh, possibly more than you're going to enjoy hearing it. But, uh, no, first off, the thing that you're probably all wondering is, why do I look like a geography teacher when Ofsted are in town? <laughs> and the reason is, it's a special occasion. Uh, I've not spoken at the morning service for over a year, so I thought, you know, <laughs> the glasses may still look like the 60s, the hair like the 70s, the beard like the 80s, but... I'm not wearing the full lockdown, middle-aged, past-caring clothes that I normally wear when I'm at home as part of the service. So here you go. You get the full teacher garb. Uh, so last week, as you know, we finished uh, 1 Corinthians. And over the last year or so, we've been working through John and 1 Corinthians. And now we're back into John, and we're going to take that through to its conclusion sometime after Pentecost. Somewhere around there? A bit further than that. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Jackie last spoke a few weeks ago on the first part of John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And I thought I had some of that uh, passage in my talk today. But I didn't, it was a typo on the rotor. Uh, but I spotted it a while ago. But I've been going round and round the whole section of John's Gospel that we're in. And it's from chapter 13 to 17, if you include Jesus' prayer at the end, of what's often known as the Upper Room Discourse. So it's Jesus' last night with his disciples. Now, the chapters weren't there when John wrote it, but this one evening, he dedicates about a quarter of his whole Gospel book to so there's stuff in there that he wants us to know, that he felt Jesus wanted them to know so that we would know. And I've been round and round that whole thing of John 13 to 16. And I noticed something, right? Some of you will love this, some will hate it, but it's flopping around in the wind. Uh, this is John 13 to 16. And what I noticed was some things just keep coming back round. Where are we? Up there. Look. Hang on. There's the camera. There you go. Different colours. So I have colour-coded this, which is probably putting Chris on edge because colour is not a form of data that you can interrogate with a computer. Whereas Eliza is probably, where is she? Is loving the fact I've used colours because you should see all her revision charts and stuff on a wall. It's just a spatter of colour everywhere. But there are three things that keep coming round and round in those chapters. Uh, the first is about love that comes back and back and back. And obviously that's throughout John's Gospel and his letters. I'm going to come back to that. The second that comes up the most is about being in each other. So, like Jackie talked about with the vine, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Just a quick reminder on that, he said he is the vine. He doesn't say he's the trunk and you're the branches. He says, you're, he's the vine, we are the branches. 
We're part of the vine. The vine is part of us. I'm going to flick through some of the things he says in this whole passage. The third thing that keeps coming round is Jesus telling them things that are going to happen before they happen. So foretelling, obviously a form of prophecy. Uh, he tells them a few things that are going to happen so that when they do happen, they're not totally unsettled and so that their faith is increased because he's told them in advance that they're going to happen. So those are the things that come up. This is a lot to deal with. Uh, right, so firstly, the things that are going, him foretelling uh, in John 13, starting at 18, he who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. One of you is going to betray me. The end of chapter 13, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And then to Peter, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Start of chapter 14. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back to you and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And then half, uh, almost near the end of chapter 14. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Chapter 15, the start of our passage for today, which I'll come on to. Uh, verse 18. If the world hates you, which it will, keep in mind it hated me first. And then chapter 16, there's a lot more of this, which is pink, by the way, if you're interested. Uh, All of this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about it. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. And then there's a fair bit in our passage uh, oh, sorry, I'm past our passage already. So, uh, towards the end of 16, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And then at the very end of chapter 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's throughout those four chapters, a number of times Jesus warns them of things that are going to happen. Now, in terms of being in each other, there's a lot of orange on these pages. Uh, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You know, that goes back to the feet washing. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We're still in chapter 13, by the way, if that sounds like chapter 15. For chapter 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father as well. 
From now on, you know him and have seen him. Obviously, Jesus talking about him and his father, but he comes on to go through the same thing with him and the 12. Anyone who's seen me has seen the father. I am in the father. The father is in me. I am in the father and the father is in me. He says it again. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's a crossover here with love. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. But you know him that he lives in you and will be in you. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. We're still in chapter 14. And I could go on forever, uh, and I fear I better had not. Uh, and then about love... I've read some of those passages out. Uh, we have had a lot, we've had a, a number of talks recently in the last two or three months about love, uh, but I still want to say more about that as part of laying the foundation for looking at this second half of chapter 15 uh, because it's foundational and then the passage for today actually explains itself, which makes my job easier. So, where are we? This is from chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And the verses that I thought I was getting from 15 are from, chapter, are from verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So Jackie sort of finished with that on uh, the last talk that we had from John 15. And I was thinking so much about God's love and came up with uh, a few illustrations of that before we get into why the world would hate you. First one is a biblical one, uh, you'll all be happy to know. And it's the prophet who I feel, I don't know, almost most sorry for. Well, I feel had that none of the prophets, Old Testament prophets, had an easy ride, but. Hosea had a tough, tough assignment. Uh, if, you're familiar, if you're familiar with Hosea, first of uh, the books of the Minor Prophets. But his assignment was, go and take for yourself an adulterous wife. Because that was a picture of the way the people of Israel treated God. That they were like the wife who ran off after all sorts of other men. So Hosea's assignment was, Go and take this woman and have children with her, which he did. And then she goes off with other men. Chapter 3, uh, and this is from the message. Then God ordered me, 
Start all over, love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you're living with me. No more whoring, no more sleeping around. You're living with me and I am living with you. So the people of Israel are going to live a long time stripped of security and protection, without religion and comfort, godless and prayerless. But in time, they'll come back, these Israelites, come back looking for their God and their David king. They'll come back to chastened, sorry, come back chastened to reverence before God and his good gifts, ready for the end of the story of his love. The thing that strikes me about that and so many instances of love is that Hosea had to put down how he felt and his righteous justice or indignation or hurt against his wife. He had to put all of that down and away in order to love her as God loves his people. In the same way that God puts down and away and deals with our wrongdoing and sin in the way of the people of Israel, that is the picture of love from Hosea and in so much of the Old and New Testament of those things are there. I don't, you can't, can only imagine what Hosea felt, but he had to drop that let go of it so that he could then love his wife as he did before. Second picture, uh, as James said this morning actually, so it is unusual for me to be here standing talking. Uh, last year I filmed a talk when I walked around fields over near Chesham and I walked around that big field yesterday and this picture came to me of uh, a pristine field which unfortunately they're not at the minute because it's so dry, so pray for rain. Uh, pristine field of crop. And in that, tearing around on a motorbike is a 13-year-old boy and he's just wheel spinning, he's making noise, he's churning up the ground. And the farmer hears this and goes out with his dog. It's a big dog. And he as he approaches this lad spinning around, a whole corner and section of the field is being torn up and his crop, his livelihood, is being laid waste. It's just a mess. As he approaches the lad, the lad hits a rock, flies off, and he's scraped onto the ground. As the farmer's approaching, how does, how's he going to deal with this kid? It's, <laughs> you can imagine, can't you? Do you call the police? Do you set the dog on him? Do you chase after him? Do you give him does he give him a kicking? What's he going to do? The picture that came to me was, the farmer goes up to him, and he's lying on the floor hurt. And the farmer says to him, what are you doing here? And... Long story short, instead of hurling abuse or indignation or whatever it is at the lad, the farmer 
asks him. He looks at him and asks him, how did you get here? And he's 13. He can't be at home because his mum has got a boyfriend around and they throw him out and he doesn't want to be around when that bloke's around anyway. So he's stolen this motorbike, he's torn through the field, it's just something to do. That's the pattern his life's got into. So the farmer takes him back to his farmyard, cleans him up, and says, come back tomorrow. So the lad comes back, and the farmer shows him how to ride his quad bike, and they build a track for him to ride around with bumps and humps and jumps so that the lad can be free and have this space. And he learns how to do this. Then, once he's learned with the quad bike, the farmer starts using him to do jobs around the farm. So he sort of adopts him, brings him in, gives him value, and the lad becomes a worker on the farm. So that was my second picture of love and what the farmer could have done and what he had to put down because he looked at the person in front of him and thought, what does he need? He didn't think, how does this affect me? What does this lad need? The third example, before we get into the passage, I've broadened it out. This may hurt a bit, uh, but go with me. You've probably all seen or read about the state of things in India at the minute and the way COVID has just taken off and people can't get oxygen and it's just an utter mess. And you may or may not have read about parts of the world where teenage, young teenage girls are being married off by their parents because they can't afford to keep them, or where kids of 11 are having to go out to work building, making bricks or doing hard physical labour because they can't go to school, and the odds are they can never go to school again because of the situation that everything's got into. And I kind of apologise for this. It's it's an example, okay, to highlight a point. My sense was, if, if we in Europe and the States, say, could say, okay, if the believers said, do you know what, if we will stay in the state we are now, in lockdown, semi-lockdown, restrictions or whatever, and we send our vaccinations, please don't, I'm not saying we don't, you know, vulnerable people are vaccinated, but let's say we stay where we are today, but we send our vaccinations to India, to these other countries, where the sort of unholy discussions that, oh, sorry, I'm, am I moving off the camera? Where this international hoarding and whatever of the vaccinations has gone on, if believers said, do you know what? We will stay in lockdown another three or four months if it means we can send it to them. It means that those things that you were looking forward to of coming out of lockdown, 
you put them down and just for three or four months, if that means that those people could be helped and get through that and it helps everybody through love, would people do it? That may resonate with you in all sorts of different ways and it's a hypothetical thing because I don't think it's something we can do and I know that there are all sorts of implications. It, it's a hypothetical example, but it, was, it brings stuff up. Now I can talk about the passage that we've got in John 15, starting at verse 18. Excuse me a second. I've wandered off again. Hang on. <clears throat> There we go. Uh, right. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, and remember those three things I talked about that keep coming round and round in John. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. I wanted to look at those illustrations of love before looking at this because I felt that it's in there. John talks about this throughout uh, the gospel and in his letters. And Jesus is saying that the world is going to hate you, but what is it they've seen that they are hating? And on that third example I gave you about the vaccinations and so on, I thought, how would the world react if the church said that? Would they love you? I don't think so. If if people of love said to the world, we will put this down and sacrifice freedom, what happens is it reflects on everybody else. So it reflects back to everybody what their attitudes are, and are they going to love you for that? I don't think so. So starting at the end of that passage, Jesus says that they will do such things, and he is talking to them at that time, of course. Uh, and he says that they will put them out of the synagogue, which is 
to put them out of uh, a big chunk of community life to be excommunicated. And then he says they will believe that by killing you, they're, putting, they're giving a service to God. So he's saying that the people who, for whom being good before God is tithing a tenth of their garden herbs and being strictly obedient to laws, they will see your words and deeds of love and they're going to hate you. So it's not just the world, it's also the religious leaders as well that he's talking about. And why? It's because it is him working in them, through them. I'm the vine, you are the branches. I am in you, you are in me. They're working with the Father, doing the things he did and tells them to do, and using the words that he gives them. It's both together. And in that section of chapter 15, sorry, I keep wandering off. It's because it's over there. Uh, Jesus talks about that and that they treat, they will treat the disciples this way because they treated him that way. And it's hard because he says, if it wasn't, if I hadn't spoken to them, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. If they hadn't seen the miracles, they wouldn't be guilty. So bringing the word and the deeds, the actions of God into something can bring judgment. It highlights where people are at. It's not necessarily easy. And in those examples, it's painful, potentially, for the lover, for the giver, to put down those things and to do what's right for the person in front of them. Because you know full well that what comes back might not be reciprocation. So whoever hates me hates my father as well. Another thing about it is that, that then the world hating, it's not personal. So often when somebody reacts to us, they're reacting to what we've said or done in obedience, hopefully. But what comes back at you, it's not personal. It's personal to God, but not to you. Uh, so often, not just in, in uh, holy things, if you like, we know full well that often the way somebody reacts to you is far more about where they're at rather than what you have done or said. Here, he's saying that their reaction is to the Lord, not to you. So in some ways, it takes some of the heat off, uh, but it still means that you will have to field that rubbish. He doesn't say that you have to just roll over and take it. Uh, you don't need me to talk about how to deal with rubbish that's thrown at you uh, and washing off from that and also standing against it. He doesn't say that you have to just take this. But it, I find that really hard because when John is writing this, his brother was the first of the, tw I think it was the first of the 12, but certainly by this point, he has been martyred. 
I don't know, to be honest, if by this stage others of the 12 have been, but obviously a lot of people have been. So you can't get away from the fact that it happened to them, uh, as Jesus said. But throughout the passage, Jesus warns them, this is going to happen, and I'm telling you now, so that when it does happen, your faith will increase, that you won't fall away. And surely that's what all of Scripture is for. You know, it tells us stuff, so that when rubbish rises up, we're equipped, and it builds faith rather than knocking it down. Nearly there. Those things, like I say, I've found it fascinating that in those four chapters of John, you read them, and then you read it again, and you go, you get to a bit, and you think, he's always said that. And it comes back round, and then you read another chapter, and it, the same thing, and it, you go, hang on, he's done that. And that's why I used the different coloured highlighters, because I wanted to see, where does it keep coming round? And in John's first letter, about halfway through, this is the second half of... 1 John chapter 3, again from the message, just because I wanted it to sound a bit different so that you don't have the familiarity. Uh, and for me, this sums up the whole thing that he keeps bringing up. For this is the original message we heard. We should love each other. We must not be like Cain, who joined the evil one and then killed his brother. Why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil while the acts of his brother were righteous. So don't be surprised, friends, when the world hates you. This has been going on a long time. The way we know we've been transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who doesn't love is as good as dead. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know very well that eternal life and murder don't go together. This is how we've come to understand and experience sorry, and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears. And you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and receive what we asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's command. To believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. And he told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us, by the spirit he gave us. That is next week's talk. Amen.